0: Welcome to the Fantasy Footballers DFS and Betting
1: Podcast with your hosts, Kyle Borgononi and Matthew Betts.
0: Welcome in. Friday, August 25th. It's the Fantasy Footballers DFS Embedding Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Borgenoni, and I am joined, as always, by Matthew Corey Davis Killed him bets.
1: Oh, man. A, a, a double whammy this week, dude. We had the, the Corey Davis situation, which, look, I don't think Corey Davis is incredible at football, but I thought he was a pretty good round 19, round 20 pick on DraftKings. Looks like those lineups are getting a zero, so whoops on that. And, uh... Trey Lance. Is is it over, Kyle? I mean, is is it time to officially retire Trey Lance and and the saga that has gone on for two years? He's retired my bank account, if that's really what you're asking. I that's been
0: that's been well documented on this show. And it was right there for the forty nineers to take Justin Fields, right? Like it it was right there. If you were been following with us, like when we were doing our NFL draft props that year. I mean, we felt so good. Thanks for moving in the right direction with Justin Fields. What do we know, though? What does the NFL Nothing. know? We don't know <laughs> anything. We Guys, let's be honest. We're playing fake football. We're talking about it, and we have some information. So if anyone says I got this right, like, no, there's tons of things. The NFL gets hundreds and hundreds of things wrong. So organizations that are worth billions said, let's trade our franchise for Trey Lance." And you know Zach Wilson, like it's pretty normal for teams to actually get things wrong. So maybe we need to give ourselves grace when Corey Davis doesn't work out in round 18.
1: Okay, that's fair. Um, but yeah, man, I that whole situation, like I, I would love like 10 years from now, something like that, we get a nice little 30 for 30 or something on what went down and the truth of like, did they actually want Mac Jones? Did they really want Trey Lance? Like, what's where's the truth here? So, a uh, fascinating situation, but. Turns out, it doesn't matter, Kyle. You just take Brock Purdy in the last round of the NFL draft, and you've got your franchise quarterback. So, no big deal.
0: No, that's that's the best part is that you can kind of like stumble and bumble Chris Berman your way into a starting. Oh, quarterback. that's a
1: throwback right there.
0: I had to. Uh, man, I need a Chris Berman drop on here. He's uh, that would be that would be perfect for the show. On this show, we will be talking about GPP strategies, talking about tournaments. How do you take down a tournament in DFS? I think these shows that we do before the season are building blocks for people to be able to say, hey, how do I have a good process? What are some of these simple things I have to get right? And that's one of the things I think I'll say five times on this show. There's a couple of things you need to do to start. And then there is a ton of luck involved of just variance, the roster percentages, the the football bounce the right way. You get Mac Collins for a touchdown in the very last second of a game. and you can win a GPP. So we're trying to get everyone prepared and give you the tools you need. And we think the best place to do that is in the DFS pass, which is part of the Ultimate Draft Kit. Plus, people are asking me all the time, hey, what if I just want to get the DFS pass? What if I just want to you know, buy that? Can I just buy that alone? What kind of advice are we giving people? Because we're, we're kind of giving away free stuff.
1: I mean, yes, you can technically do that. I believe that goes on sale right before week one of the regular season so in a few weeks but it's essentially the same price as the udk plus it is <laughs> the same price so oh, it actually is the same that is we got to talk to corporate on that one um but essentially you get the dfs pass for free or you get the, the udk for free however you want to look at it when you get the udk plus so uh man can't believe it we have a huge draft weekend coming up i've got a big draft coming up can't wait to use you use the udk for that uh, and then roll it right into DFS season. So it's going to be a great man year, man. I'm I'm super excited.
0: Yeah, I mean for my draft, I have a friend's draft coming up this weekend. Uh, we're going up to a lake house, and I customize my tiers. I'm showing bets, not great for oh, audio, I, but I'm I, sure I
1: can confirm per source. We've got is this uh, conditionally formatted, Kyle?
0: It is. It is based on of tiers, it is. Uh, ADP. We have risk ratings, upside meters, and I even get to input my league's keepers, um, which I got to. I'm keeping CD Lamb, which I was happy about. And then we have a lottery and I'm keeping Ramondre. So I would say that my keepers are like bottom tier in the league, but I got to use the ultimate draft kit to kind of figure out what the rest of the league is going to do. We also have a new optimizer in the DFS pass. So get all of that. You can use the promo code DFS pod and get it even cheaper. So this is kind of why I'm telling people if you're waiting to do the DFS pass, you could jump in it now because our optimizer, which will be released soon we've already got some projected roster percentages for week one. So you can play around with the optimizer in the next week or so, use the promo code DFS pod to save a little money and get access to our season long player props, which we're going to start off this episode uh, talking about some props. Prop it like it's hot. Every week we get to give our official props in the DFS pass. But there's some early week one props that we're just so excited. We just want to give them out for free. Ones that we like. We're not saying these official, but these are ones that I've already laid. You can get them on Prize Picks or on Underdog. And I'm just going to start off by talking about our boy Lamar. So I'll tell one that I I like the over, and one that I like the under. And you can disagree with me if you want bets on one of them. But Lamar Jackson's rushing line on Underdog is. 30. And a half rushing yards. 55 and a half. I, w- I wish it was just that. but um, So 55 and a half rushing yards. And I look this up. This is kind of part of our process. It's not just, oh, it feels like I know Lamar. He could get that. We actually look up, based on the situation, the game lines, everything else, and say, okay, over the course of their career, over the last year or two, what have they done in these situations? So the Ravens are favored by a lot. Can you tell me, you can look this up, what the line is. Last time I saw it was like over seven. Uh, Against the Texans, it's 10. Okay, so Lamar Jackson is a double-digit home favorite in week one against the Texans. That in itself is probably a good lean, but has Lamar hit this line in his career? So in games where Lamar has had at least 75% of the snaps, so not counting those rookie years with Flacco and injuries, in games where he's hit 75-plus percent of the snaps, he has hit this rushing line 72% of the time. And in the props market, that's a really good line. I mean, that's a really good lean. Usually we would say anything over 60, we're like, oh, wow, that's pretty impressive. So Lamar, in 43 career games with that snap, he's done it in 31 of them. So I like the over. Usually we don't like overs at all. We usually lean on the unders, but that one just feels good in week one.
1: Yeah, you won't hear me arguing against that one for sure. We talked a lot uh, with Warren, Warren Sharp on our show maybe three weeks ago, something like that just about the Ravens and how that three wide receiver set uh, new look offense is going to lead to much more scrambling, even if the design rush attempts aren't there and the efficiency, therefore, will be higher. So certainly could see the over hitting there. Um, I, again, we're doing this for the show. Kyle asking to pick an over. I hate playing overs, but if I was going to play one in week one, uh, the DJ, DJ Moore line, uh, I think, is too low. It, it's 45 and a half receiving yards. And look, his per game averages since 2019 – are well above this 78 yards, 79 yards, 68, 52. Even last year, in what was a train wreck of a season with quarterback play with uh, Baker Mayfields of the world and PJ Tucker and whoever else was throwing the football, he still was going over this mark. So, <laughs> PJ Walker,
0: you said PJ oh, Tucker. <laughs> Tucker, the basketball.
1: <laughs> it sounded so right in my head. I was like, let's roll with it. Uh, PJ Walker, so, excuse me, Mr. Walker, <laughs> for mistaking your name. <laughs> Uh, was even helping him, you know, hit the, hit these lines. So I know Justin Fields has his flaws as a passer, but we just got news Cole Komet got banged up. And look, man, we're two weeks out from the season. Cole Komet's banged up. Chase Claypole's missing practice. Like someone's catching the football there, and it's DJ Moore. So I think over 45 and a half is very much in play.
0: All right, I'll give you one that I'm under, and it never feels good to give a prop for week one in the very first game, because either you look awesome or people are just like, why would you explain that to me? Why would you give that to me? And I have the entire game, I have to take the under and not root for good football in game one. And even more, I hate that this is on brand, but I think, I think the numbers are stating that it's in the right direction. What do you hate this prop I'm, before I even say this name?
1: Um, I don't love it. If I'm being honest, I, I will not be playing this personally.
0: Okay, so you're emotionally attached and you can't remove your bias. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wait, but, but so am I. Uh, it's Amon Ra, which you guys know. Uh, Amon Ra's line on underdog is 77.5 receiving yards, which doesn't sound like a lot, but in two years, okay, so he's two years in the league, in road losses, which we project, and they are projected as road underdogs against Kansas City, so 77 and a half receiving yards in two years in road losses. He has hit the under on this line in 10 of his 12 games. So that's 83% of his games. He has hit the under. And so I don't like rooting for unders. I understand Jamison Williams is gone. So it's not great. But over time, I think it makes sense to take an under on this.
1: I think a lot of these splits that you referenced come down to just Jared Goff historically has been much better at home. Much better in nice, warm weather in a dome, and not that it's going to be cold in September or whatever, but uh, just historically Goff's numbers at home are are much better, and we were playing him a ton in DFS last year when he's like, "We're at home. okay, we're good. if he's on the road, I'm a little worried here. Um, the only reason that I, I push back a little bit is just because of the fact that, look, I know that they want to lean on the run game. But if Pat Mahomes does what Pat Mahomes does, and the Chiefs have gone over their 30 and a half team implied total in six straight week one games, if I'm not mistaken, with Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes, you know, back and forth there over the years. Like, if they roll, Goff's gonna have to put up the football through the air. So that's my only hesitation, which is why I would not be playing it. Also because he's the GOAT. But that's just me. That's just my personal take.
0: Could it could you see this being one where like through three quarters, it's he's at like forty something yards and this looks good, and then, you know, the Chiefs are up 32 to 18 or something. And then in that fourth quarter, you just see Amon Ra just get, like, five different receptions. That's yep. how it's going to go.
1: <laughs> Absolutely could see that. He'll finish with, you know, 79 and and make your, your bet miss here. But uh, the, the under that I like, historically tight end unders have been a very good bet. I like David Njoku under 37.5 receiving yards. This is a line that he struggled to clear. Over the last two seasons, he's been under uh, in 20 of 30 games, a.k.a. two-thirds. There is plenty of target competition in Cleveland right now, and we don't know how it's going to shake out, but everything we're hearing out of camp is Elijah Moore, is uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones on the deep ball. Amari Cooper is still there as the one. Uh, David Njoku only saw 4.9 targets per game last season and a 65% route rate. Those numbers are going to have to come up for him to consistently be hitting somewhere in the 40-ish range. Of yardage on a weekly basis. So you take all that into consideration. The other thing is we need Deshaun Watson to play well, and we don't know if he will. The market's assuming he will. It's just unknown, and there's been mixed reviews out of camp. So uh, easy under for me to lean with David Njoku. Like I said, the hit rate on Titan unders on a weekly basis are historically very strong.
0: So every single week, we do give those props. Betts kind of gets to start the article on Wednesday, and then we add them as we see news um as we see different ones that we find value in and we get to alert everybody if you're in our discord channel you get an alert that says hey take this prop before uh before we move the lines no big deal so uh you can get that at ultimatedraftkit.com and get the dfs pass but if you're here you're ready to talk some strategy about gpps you down with gpp you know if you've got a long weekend you know you're just yard work whatever else you're doing, and you didn't listen to the previous two episodes, then just you could go back to back to back. And I think that's what a lot of people, maybe if you haven't been listening, you like, you know, I'm just saving that up, that DFS goals episode. Who could forget? Or last week, cash game strategy. And this week, GPP strategy. I mean, that is a that is a three-pack to get people excited for DFS. And if you're not excited about DFS after this, then I don't know what you're doing, right? We
1: can't help you if that's the case.
0: <laughs> The doctor's like, I have nothing for you. You are just <laughs> bland, boring. It's over, man. <laughs> Got nothing. So, bets and I will discuss some of the game theory, because a tournament and how you take down a tournament is very different than how we discussed cash. Last week, we even talked about cash, cash contest selection. We'll kind of dabble a little bit, but we're going to do another episode where we focus mostly on roster percentages and how you read those, and also which contest to pick because I think a lot of people get lost in the mix of Millie maker and everything else and they don't know where else to go. But this episode we're talking mostly about GPPs. Those are called guaranteed prize pools. Usually with the GPP, you know, the, the payout, the cash is probably going to be somewhere between a third and 25% to even lower depending on which field you're in. So, you're not just trying to hit a median outcome. You're trying to hit a top outcome. We would first say hitting a top 25% outcome and then even better a top, you know, 5% outcome to win the Millie maker. You need greater than a 1%, you know, you need, you need to hit the nuts. And we'll talk about how to do that because that's the easiest thing to do is just, you get a perfect lineup. And if you get a perfect lineup, you're good. You're set. You're fine. I think you and I have mentioned this before, but I had this kind of daydream the other day of like, if I won the Million Maker, what would I do? I, I I wonder how often that happens with people when they get in DFS, like if I won, here's what I would do. But I've said this to you before. I, if I win, I will not tell my wife at all. And I will just casually, casually bring it up. Probably like before bed. I just, I just want that moment. I almost want to like, film it just so i could just see you know how she responds
1: i thought you were saying you would literally never tell her and you <laughs> would just like slowly withdraw all the money <laughs> so it's not suspicious at all and just eventually over time you use it all but she never knows that would be that would be incredible but you're talking about like day of you would just give yourself a few hours to just yes just enjoy it and then tell her after which is hilarious because that one uh playoff weekend that i had a huge weekend my wife was like she's like, I'm going to bed early. I was like, Mom, this is a huge game. Like Chiefs, Bills, it's back and forth. So excited. And I'm just on the edge of my seat because A, I'm having a great DFS slate, but also the game was incredible. And I walk in there, she's dead asleep. I like whisper, I'm like, Hey, I want a lot in DFS. She's like, Okay, great. Didn't even care. Didn't even care. So so I respect it. I know, I it would be like just this
0: awesome long con if just slowly like I just slowly acquire more gold chains. And she's like, where are these coming from? (laughs)
1: 10 years from now, you look like Kirk Cousins on the plane.
0: (laughs) Dude, hey, Kirk can rock that. I I respect that. So, uh, yeah, it's it's fun to be able to do that. But playing tournaments is all about understanding this as a game. Whatever game you're playing, whether it's Battleship. So I play Battleship against my four-year-old. And we're still working on, like, you know, it's the letters, the numbers. You figure out, you know, where the Battleship should go. There is a game theory portion to Battleship and DFS to say, what is the other person going to do? And I use Battleship because you can't see what the other person is totally doing. You know they have to place these things on the other side and you're guessing, but we also can have an educated guess as we move on. So thinking about DFS as game theory, we're trying to find the optimal plays. So the best plays possible while also weighing out what is the opportunity cost if I play this player who is, let's just say, popular this week. You know, their roster, 25%. Okay, if I play this player, what has to happen for them to pay off for this team? Like, do I need 20-plus points? And on a roster to hit 200, you know, 225 points in a GPP, you need everybody to contribute and get at least 20 points. And really, you need the high-end players to get 30-plus. You need your quarterback to go for 35, 40 points. You need to think about all that. So it's about the opportunity cost, It's about the roster percentages, but this is my point. I want to hammer home. I I said it before. It comes down to me for tournaments. Do you have good correlation and do you have good projections? And luckily we have those in the DFS pass. Like it sounds so simple, but if you have really bad projections and you are not trying to correlate, then more often than not, you are just throwing darts and that will not work. It will work sometimes, but over the course of time, we would say good correlation and good projections will win out so any any thoughts of just like the mental fortitude people need and thinking about this as a game
1: i think that's the biggest take home and i think that's the biggest weakness i see in a lot of uh, gpp players is the struggle to remove your football guy hat when you're setting a gpp lineup because really you can understand schemes and playing time and whatever i'm not saying that stuff isn't important but like that's where we we use that information in cash. we play the best plays in a tournament. you are literally setting yourself up just to have leverage on the field smart leverage. I'm not saying you just like, oh, that guy's one percent, he's a great play. If he's running four outs a, a game, he's not a great play but like you need to understand you're trying to figure out what happens when certain players fail and how you capitalize and that's what's really hard for a lot of people is like it doesn't feel comfortable to not play this guy who's you know twenty percent and projects pretty well. I don't want to give up three points of projection. Well, if you're getting fifteen points of roster percentage, you know discount, that's probably worth it, right? Like, so you just need to be mindful that this is more of a game theory aspect. Not saying the football stuff doesn't matter because it does, but it's way more important to understand, you know, how you win when other players or other, uh, you know, DFS players fail. That's really what it's all about because you're not going to climb the leaderboard unless you have leverage on the field.
0: I think a lot of people. Hear two messages from us because last week with cash we talked about taking a long term approach and how you can insulate your losses. If you know if you learn the right way, you can win more often than not. Let's say twelve weeks out of eighteen on the year, or something like that. But for GPP, you're trying to play for just one day. Like if you have two weeks out of eighteen that you crush in GPPs, I would say you killed it that year. It just depends on the tournaments, too. Like, if you do well consistently in small entry like you do bets, then, you know, single entry type tournaments, then that's fine. But, like, in these bigger tournaments, just understand that it's like, it's you're playing for just one thing. So, maybe explain how we approach who is playing with us, because that's, that's the only thing that really changes. We're, we're going from playing against one person in head-to-heads or half the field to a much bigger group.
1: Yeah, for sure. And that's kind of what I was referencing just a couple of minutes ago, is is the fact that you know you need to be understanding what your opponents are going to do, so that and that's what roster percentages are all about. So that when the when the field size is larger, when you're playing against a lot of people, understanding what those people are going to do helps you understand uh, how things could go wrong and how you could benefit from the situation. So the goal is not about you know avoiding mistakes or trying to quote play the best play every time. It's about understanding a range of outcomes, understanding that you need way more variance. You need calculated risk. I don't, and I want to say risk, but like smart, uh, calculated risk, embrace volatility because that's what you need in these tournaments. And the tricky part about that is that you could embrace those things, play the right, you know, plays from a process standpoint, of course, results oriented is not the best way to look at it from a process standpoint and still have like six weeks in a row where you're just getting crushed and you're putting up zeros, but that's, Sometimes the life of a GPP player, but then on the seventh or eighth week, you take it down and all of a sudden your entire season is made. So there's way more ups and downs, you know, from a bankroll management standpoint, from a mental health standpoint for a lot of people, like that's kind of tough to deal with sometimes. But that is the nature of these tournaments is that they are top heavy. And in order to get to the top of the leaderboard, you do have to embrace that variance and that volatility. Do you think
0: that there's a difference between who is playing in tournaments, big tournaments like the Millie Maker? you know week the first month of the season so week one all the way up you know into october as opposed to later on in the year because we we say all the time that there is a drop-off in dfs there's a drop off in fantasy football probably in your home league of people that are playing they get to week nine they're like ah, i'm not really making it and so they just kind of tail off in dfs you see the same thing the tournaments aren't nearly as big because people haven't learned how to play cash the right way, they don't have the bankroll for it. So it's tough because i I have heard people ask before, like, oh, does you know all the casuals leave, and does it does it get harder or, or worse? Like there is an element where I think taking down a GPP in week twelve or thirteen is really hard because the people staying with it have gotten sharper. We understand the better teams. Like week one is so fun because everyone comes in with their preconceived notions you have a lot more casual people that say, sweet, I can pay $5 to get in the Millie Maker. I'll throw in five lineups and see what happens. And you look back and you're like, oh man, you can do so many different things in week one. So for me, I I like going in a little bit more because I think there's more casual people. But I also recognize there's a lot I don't understand about the NFL that I've assumed over the summer.
1: Right, and week one, we don't know anything. I mean- well, we'll know some stuff, but like, there's going to be a lot of unknowns that in week two, week three, we're like, hmm, okay, that's how they view this running back, or that's how they view this wide receiver from a playing time standpoint. We were drafting him in the ninth round; that was silly, right? Stuff like that happens all the time, and so yeah, as the course of the season goes on, you learn more information, and, and so does the field, and it gets, I think, tougher. Um, so yeah, I think in weeks, you know, one, two, three, like the first month of the season, there is not only some more casual people playing, but also we can take advantage of you know, the field being way too overconfident in what is going to happen with a certain player or a team. And you know, that's where I think the leverage really comes in. So I actually, the way I kind of approach it, I'm not a large field GPP player mostly, but I will play some more in weeks you know, one, two, and three, just because like I said, there's way more unknowns. And if you can see what the field is going to do because they think they know what's going to happen and the opposite comes true, you can uh, really create a ton of leverage and, and have some success.
0: Yeah, like week one last year, Saquon Barkley was the RB1, but there was still a question, like, is he back? Like, is he still elite anymore? And when you looked at it, he was cheap. He was 6,100 on DraftKings, but the field wasn't like over the moon. He was only 14% in the Millimaker. So there are so many assumptions that people have in week one, and you can kind of go all in. I remember a couple years ago, it was like, okay, the Ravens, Just jump on board Lamar. And that was, you know, a week one where he just went bananas. I think it was against the Dolphins. Uh, Marquise Hollywood Brown had a long touchdown. It was just one of the things where you're like, you want to be ahead of the curve. And right now you can be Um, just looking at this offense. Like Carson Wentz, your boy. I know he's like probably, I don't know, one of your favorite players of all time. He was the QB three last year in week one. You know, it was that Washington Jacksonville game. That was pretty back and forth. Washington won. But those are the kind of things that in week one you can kind of jump on and and figure out. So we'll talk more in just a second about uh, last year's million Makers, but uh, but we're going to take a break. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. So you and I did some digging along with our, uh, our friends that helped us with their optimizer DFS forecast. So that optimizer and the tutorial video will be out there that you can kind of see. But we did some digging based on last year's Millie Makers and what makes a good tournament lineup. And every week on the podcast, we get to talk about stacking, talk about stacking options. And to kind of introduce this introduce this part, I'm going to bring back an old drop stack attack yeah yeah the people love it they like a good drop so stacking i'm gonna let you start off this conversation and then we'll kind of bring it back to what worked in Millimaker. so we'll give examples from different weeks and said hey this is what the winning lineup had here's why it made sense looking back on it but let's just talk about stacking on a broad sense and then you and i will talk more about game stacking and bring backs and all the other so on a broad sense, tell me why stacking works.
1: Yeah, so essentially we are looking at kind of what the top 25% of lineups did comparing to those who didn't even hit the cash line. And there's a comparison that you can make that says if a higher rate of, of teams that are finishing in the top quarter of the field are doing this and the people that are losing are not doing this, that's where the edge is. And if you've been playing DFS for a while, stacking is not new to you. If you've been playing basketball, we all know about stacking. And basically, you're just trying to put a quarterback with one of his uh, players, one of his teammates. But ideally, it's a pass catcher. And we'll talk about the running back situation in a minute. But the top 25% of the field in the Millie maker last year was doing this with at least one teammate at a 94% rate. It's like, okay, yeah, everyone's doing it. But the teams that weren't cashing were only doing it 82.8% of the time. So there is still an edge that like some people entering the million maker across the entire season are not stacking. And again, if you've been listening to the show for years, if you've been playing, you should know that. But like it just shows you that still there is an edge to do it. So no matter what, we want to be playing a quarterback with one of his teammates. And that just comes down to getting less things right. If your quarterback goes off, if he throws a 50-yard bomb and you have his pass catcher, you double dip on the points. So you, you get less things that you have to get correct. If you just get that right, that's one thing you can check off the box, so to speak. So you definitely wanna be stacking. And specifically when you're looking at you know, correlation data, uh, going back to 2017, this is from Fantasy Labs, the wide receiver one to no surprise, uh, 0.49 correlation, wide receiver two, 0.42, the, the tight end uh, also 0.42. So there's not a massive difference in those aspects. So if you're just using the data, I think you feel pretty comfortable stacking with anyone that they're throwing the ball to. Ideally, though, this is where the arc comes in. You can understand who makes a good play, where they're priced at, uh, the game environment, which we'll talk about in a second, and then just archetypes, right? Like, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Like, Hayden Hurst, you know, if you're stacking up Bryce Young, is Hayden Hurst ever going to give you a, a winning performance that you need that's just large field? You know, you're taking home all the money? Probably not, right? But, like, could DJ Chark catch two long bombs in any given week? Potentially, right? So that's where the art comes in to this sort of thing. But basically the take home is the top million maker lineups are stacking. And even though a lot of people are doing it that lose, not enough are. There's, There's a big enough edge.
0: Right. And I think sometimes people get cute. The only time we would ever say don't stack your quarterback is if you get somebody who's Justin Fields or Lamar Jackson and just at the end of the day, they run for 100. So you get three point bonus. They score one on the ground. And then also it's possible they just end up spreading out the touchdowns. And, you know, you know, if it's Fields, it's like Mooney got a touchdown, Moore got a touchdown, Kmet got a touchdown, and you might not need any of those in the optimal, but I would say like Kmet could be one of those where it's like, okay, well Titans don't score a lot, so if Kelsey's not on the slate, that could be a fine play. But just keep that in mind, you're going to be stacking, you should be stacking. A lot of times, people maybe overdo it to the point of just not realizing it's it's kind of just simple, just start that way, you don't have to get too cute. And like we said, it comes down to, do you have good correlation and good projections? So in week one last year, the Millie Maker lineup had a very simple stack. It was Mahomes and Kelsey, which I remember last year, Kelsey was only 6,600 in week one. And we said, he's a great play in cash. And it also meant you could play him in tournaments. Now, Mahomes threw five touchdowns against the Cardinals because the Cardinals were trash. But also, in this lineup, they didn't bring anyone back, which we'll talk about in a second, but like, don't think that every single time you stack, you have to always have somebody on the other side, especially if the other team doesn't have a ton of great plays. So, in week one, Hollywood was a pretty popular play because Hopkins was um, suspended, and then Rondell Moore, you know, there's just other guys that people went for, and at the end of the day, it was like, no one really was important from that Cardinals side, but when I look at this lineup, it was real simple. Did you have a stack? Check. And then from there, this lineup actually wasn't like super special. They only had one person under 5% rostered. It was the Steelers defense, which we're not going to talk anymore about defense, but just throw a dart, get get cute. We're fine with defense. Um, you probably don't always have to hit the nuts in defense because there's some weeks where like 16 points will win it for you from a defense. This week it was twenty six, but anything else you noticed from this week one lineup? Because they they stacked Mahomes and Kelsey, and then they had some other like simple plays. Michael Pittman was super popular, and we had him in our cash lineups, and then he's here in the uh, millimaker maker.
1: Yeah, we're gonna talk about um, like roster percentages and sort of kind of what's been shown to be optimal. But the the nice thing about this lineup too, and and this is really I think tough for a lot of people as well is you think Millie Maker, you think large field tournament, you're like, I got to get unique everywhere. No, you do not. You you should not, actually. The best GPP lineups are a combination of these great plays that project super well, that will come with some roster percentage. Like, th- that's just the reality. But also mixing in these contrarian pieces. So, like for example, they had Gibson at 9%. They had Romeo Dobbs at 8%. Like you said, the Steelers defense at 3%. Like, they're Like mixing in... A combination of great plays that will be will be played by the field but they're great plays for a reason but also contrarian pieces and the mix of those two really is how you make great tournament lineup
0: yeah and Romeo Dobbs scored eight points for them so it's not like it like every single person has flames next to them you know Gibson did great 20 points but Gibson didn't even score a touchdown so 251 points is awesome that's a top one percent outcome it's it's insane but when you look at the lineup and you kind of look back, every single week and go, wow, that's um, it's not as crazy as you would think. Talk to me about double stacks because when you get this right, it is one of the most fun parts of, of DFS because you're saying, not only did I have a quarterback and a pass catcher, but I added another one and they both paid off. A lot of times the field will just pick one or the other, you know, like Lockett or Metcalf. And sometimes... There are weeks where it is just you need both of them and you need to go bananas. So talk to me about double stacking.
1: Yeah, so there is still a little bit of an edge in these large field tournaments in double stacking. It's not as big as just straight up stacking. 41% of the top 25% of lineups use the double stack. The ones that missed or didn't cash only did it at about a 37% rate. So it's not a huge difference. And I think the, the thing with this is we need to be mindful as well about teams uh quarterback archetypes specifically we talk about those Russian quarterbacks like I if I'm playing Justin Fields and I'm playing DJ Moore like I'm playing that as those two go off like does he bring Chase Claypool with Uh, maybe does he bring Cole Komet with probably not right like that kind of thing like you need to be able to have the art of it to understand that that, you know these pocket passers like Trevor Lawrence could throw a couple bombs to uh, Christian Kirk and Calvin Ridley, like he can get there. You can throw four touchdown passes. Tom Brady for the last couple of years was doing that. So there are certain quarterbacks and certain teams where you want to do it. There's a little bit of an edge in these large field tournaments, but I don't think, and, and this is probably contrary to what a lot of the DFS content in the space has put out there recently. I don't think it's a necessity in these large field tournaments. And that's the take home is like, there's a small edge, but it's not huge. And when you think about it and you just take a step back and you say, okay, there's so many people in this tournament that are playing. I need to get almost every spot perfect. If you are double stacking, there's a chance that you're taking away some ceiling from someone else who could be in your lineup. So I I won't exclude it if I'm playing this stuff, but I'll be mindful about who I do it with and understanding uh, price sensitivity specifically. If you're trying to roster a high price quarterback and two stud pass catchers like the Lockett Metcalf example, those guys are always in the 6 to 7K plus range. Like they have to do so much to pay it off. If you can find a cheap double stack that doesn't have a lot of salary associated with it, that's viable. But yeah, I think single stacks probably are my preference for the most part in these large field lottos just because you have to get so much right. We're going to talk about small field strategy later on where I think that's the opposite. But in these uh, GPP large field lotos, I think single stacks are my preference personally.
0: The best part about double stacks is you get to pull the lever of leverage. I don't even know if that's where I wanted to go with that, but leverage was that, the word. Wow.
1: <laughs> that was something right there, dude.
0: Dang it. You get to use leverage. And so for instance in week 14, Trevor Lawrence was the quarterback in the winning millimaker lineup, and his best wide receiver last year, we would say was Christian Kirk, right? Like he was he was their top one, and he was actually projected for the most points, and he also had the highest roster percentage, okay? But what the millimaker lineup did is they brought Lawrence And then they used two other pieces that not only were cheaper, but much lower rostered. And so I like to look at teams where there are three clear pass catchers, okay? And if you're going to double stack, you need to at least have one of them be a leverage piece. So for instance, this lineup was Trevor Lawrence, Zay Jones at 4,700, who would have projected great in cash, I think. But then they had Evan Ingram at 3,300. And you remember that was the week Evan Ingram just went bonkers. He went 42 points but he's only rostered by 3.6% of the Millimaker lineup. So there was leverage on the Christian Kirk lineups. And I'm not saying that you need to just pick the guy who's most popular and fade them. It's like, I think this lineup, if you would have gotten Lawrence, Kirk, and Ingram, that was a good construction. Or, you know, Lawrence, Ingram, and then you pick somebody else. Like, it's totally possible for that to win. But keep in mind, if you're double stacking those two pass catchers, you probably want to, in a big tournament, find one that is the lowest and pair just so that you can have leverage on the other group in case it doesn't work out. But this lineup was awesome because it had Jerry Judy in it, who had three touchdowns against the Chiefs.
1: Just had to bring it up, didn't you? Dude, that was one,
0: That was like one of my favorite weeks because last year it was just a dumpster fire. And just that week, for some reason, Jerry Judy just, he made my week. I remember I didn't have a great cash week, but in tournaments I played so much Jerry Judy and he got three touchdowns. So, uh, woo, go me. Tell me about bringbacks, though. So we talked about stacking, We talked about double stacking. Let's say you have a quarterback and you say, hey, I'm going to identify who the pass catcher is. How is How important is it to have somebody from the opposing team to bring it back with?
1: Yeah, so again, similar to what I was just talking about with the double stacks, there is an edge, and I think it makes sense to do it when the slate allows for it, meaning there are games that you can see those higher totals you can see those faster paced teams that love to throw you can see that that game turning into a high scoring environment and really what that comes down to is if your quarterback and his pass catcher do very well it's going to push the other team to also have to throw to score points to um, have a good DFS slate right so again you're minimizing the things that you need to get right if that game goes off there's a good chance you're going to have the right pieces or, or a better chance I should say that you have the right pieces than you would otherwise so that's kind of the take home with the bring backs specifically looking at the style of bring back in this data it was a quarterback one pass catcher and then someone on the other side an opponent 46.5 percent of the top quarter of lineups in the millimeter were doing that versus 38 percent of the of the teams that were losing so there is an edge in doing it and when you're thinking about okay well if there's an edge I I know I probably should do it most weeks who do I bring it back with the opposing wide receiver one again this is Fantasy Labs. Correlation is 0.24, the wide receiver, 0.26, the tight end, 0.24, the running back, 0.20. So basically, there's no difference. Bring it As back. long as you're sensitive to projection, roster percentage, salary, I wouldn't get stuck in the weeds of like I have to have the wide receiver one. I can never play the running back. Like this data has shown that it doesn't really matter in a large kind of umbrella you know view of everything you can understand there are certain plays that are better because of how they project and their uh, percentages and, and salary. But the take-home is don't get stuck in the weeds on which player you bring it back from.
0: I'm looking at the winning lineup from Week 10, and it was like in the middle of Justin Fields' fever. All right, so we were playing him in cash. He was 29% in the Millie Maker, which is really high for a quarterback. I mean, that's absurdly high. But when he goes for 43 points, like he is needed in the lineup. Was still only 6,500. So Justin Fields was an awesome play. He wasn't stacked with anybody, but this person brought back Amon Ross St. Brown. And then I look at the rest of the lineup. They had Tony Pollard, who was correlated with Christian Watson, who went for 35 points. They have Travis Kelsey at tight end, who scored 20 points. Like he was good, he wasn't like awesome, but they correlated it with Christian Kirk, who went for 34 points. So a lot of times you just have to get a lot less right. When you are correlating and just saying, do these games go off? And that's kind of the another take home is like you have to find a game that is going to go off. And by going off, we're saying they're probably going to hit their over/under or their team hits their team implied total. Do you think it's easy in a tournament to get a little lost in that? Like I find that when I look at a lineup and I start building, I you know start with my quarterback. I, I have a stack. I usually have a bring back. And then I start looking at the rest of my lineup. Like, okay, well, there's a running back. It's Tony Pollard. I got to find somebody from that game to also correlate him with. Is that the right strategy of winning over time? Because week to week, you can feel like, man, I just, I kept trying to do the same thing and it didn't work. But over the course of the season, in-game correlation, we we say this all the time, Like nobody correlates better than a person in the same exact game, right? Like Tony Pollard is not going to correlate with somebody who's not playing in the same game with him as well. It could be that week, but based on the game environment, that's what you want. But sometimes I just, I get so mad because I go with that and then it doesn't work out.
1: I think it's always slate dependent, which is really tough to, you know, for this show specifically to give like a good answer, but it is slate dependent and it really is like player specific. If you're, if you're looking at two options as like, okay, this guy correlates as a bring back, that guy doesn't. Yeah, he's, you know, $300 cheaper, but like you're giving up 10 points of projection, like that's that's a ton, right? So like in that situation, I probably wouldn't, but I think I'm using it as tiebreakers. And, you know, really for the correlation stuff, like in, in the best ball streets, like week 17 thing, right, for, for a couple years was like, well, does really matter. I don't know. And then like every winner in best ball media is like, They've got to bring back. And like that's what you need. You need that back and forth correlation. So that's why people make fun of it. But really, it does help. I mean, like you said, no one correlates better than someone in the same lineup. So I am trying to do it whenever I can. But I'm not going over the top and sacrificing other things in my lineup. Uh, the player's ceiling projection, their roster percentage, what do they cost? Like Those are all things to consider. So it's that's where the art comes in with sort of the data. So uh, in in short, I'm trying to. I'm not forcing it, though.
0: What if uh what if I want to stack my quarterback and get real cute and say, hey, nobody else is gonna stack them with the running back? Like what if I was just like, you know what? Uh J.K. Dobbins, Lamar Jackson, week one, Texans, they're gonna roll. They're gonna put up 40 points. Thoughts?
1: Just because we gave that example, you know they're both gonna randomly. I know, run I know. Like hundred yards and two touchdowns each. Uh, but in general, this is a losing strategy. This is one where The top uh, quarter of lineups are using a quarterback with his running back at just a 5% rate. So it just doesn't work very often. Lineups that are missing the cash line are doing it almost 14% of the time. So again, our opponents are doing it too much in these large field tournaments. We shouldn't be. And when you think about football, like it makes perfect sense. Over the course of an entire season, if the ravens roll and you have lamar and jk dobbins they will correlate over the you know over 17 games over 18 weeks but in one week if jk dobbins is having a great game he's running for over 100 yards and he scores three touchdowns on the ground lamar jackson is presumably not throwing a bunch of touchdowns unless they score 50 some points right so it makes sense when you just think about you know football and how touchdowns are scored and how points are scored so again even though you might have uh pass catching running backs that You could see their quarterback throwing them the ball for six, seven, eight targets, something like that. Just historically, it doesn't work out. So I am not trying to stack my quarterback with my running back.
0: Right. And the point you're trying to make is you said just 5% of the top 25% lineups use that and it can work. Like I had a week last year where it was Herbert and Eckler and it was like, this is awesome. They're uh, They're working together because Eckler is essentially a wide receiver. So it can work. And I get messages from people all the time like, I thought you told me not to stack my running back and my quarterback. And we're saying over the course of the season, it will bear out. Now, week to week, anything can happen. There's so much variance. And I, there's I there's so much variance in football. So in a job where we talk about projections, people are like, You guys projected him for 15 points and he he only went for eight this week, or he went for 30 this week. It's like, yes, over the course of the season, this will bear out, and it is good projections. And you need to be able to see it that way. But things changed. It's week to week. It's crazy. Talk to me about flexing in big tournaments. Because we talk a lot about wide receivers in the flex on a full PPR site. And that's where we're going to lean most of the time. But running backs, I feel like, don't get their fair share.
1: Yes. And that's what the data shows. So the 25% of lineups uh, in the Millie Maker wide receiver in the flex about 49% of the time, running back about... 40% and this is the take home tight end 11% aka don't do it <laughs> I mean most of the time don't do it and really when you think about the redraft ADP lens and best ball like how you feel about playing uh, clicking on a tight end it never feels good like these guys just don't have the ceiling that a running back or a wide receiver has so I generally am not trying to stack up my tight end in the flex wide receiver and running back there's a small edge uh, with running back actually which is is kind of counterintuitive it's this is where it comes comes down to is it's not bad to use a wide receiver it's just that losing lineups and those finishing the top quarter of the field are doing it at about the same rate so it's still good to do just understand a lot of people are still doing it running back however you know only 33 percent of losing lineups are doing it whereas I said 40 percent of the top 25 uh, percent of the field are doing it so that is where the edge is tight ends our opponents are doing way too much almost 19 percent of the time losing lineups are using a tight end in the flex uh, and as I said only 11 percent for winning lineups so uh, stay the course good correlation good projections let other people make the mistake of playing their tight end in a flex
0: yes and I remember there was a week it was week one it was Darren Waller against the Jets I can't remember if it was last year or the year the year before maybe Darren Waller had like 19 targets And I just remember saying, people saying like, hey, you told me that tight ends in the flex are a bad idea. Yes. Over the course of the season, they will not be great. You just saw one awesome week from Darren Waller. It can work. Like you can have a TJ Hawkinson week, but you know, the, based on the data bets just gave 89% of the time, it's not a good idea to use a tight end in the flex. Okay. Every once in a while in cash, I think you and I will be fine with it. If there's a cheap tight end we like. And there's somebody like Kelsey or Andrews that are projecting almost like a wide receiver, and they're not priced up. Like in cash, I think I'm okay with that if you wanted to use two tight ends, but it's still pretty rare. Um, last year, just speaking about the flex, week four was a week where the Seattle and Detroit game was just bonkers. I mean, 93 combined points. And the lineup is Gino double stacked with Metcalf and Lockett, you had Jamal Williams at running back. Uh you also had TJ Hawkinson. So that game and Josh Reynolds. So this game was like massively stacked, but the key was actually Josh Jacobs in the flex at only 6% in the afternoon slate and he went for 37 and a half points. So you could have gotten all of those things right and said I'm going all in on Seattle and Detroit. But what you really needed to understand is in the flex so many people were going after the wide receiver that Josh Jacobs was the key piece and Josh Jacobs was kind of like a afternoon hammer in general. And in our optimizer each week, you actually get to see how did people approach the flex. And that week, we actually have the data for it, that the top percent of the lineups, like 96% of them were using running backs in the flex, but the losing ones were using the wide receivers at 57%. So like the field was overvaluing the wide receivers and undervaluing the running backs to the point of, this is how you create separation in your lineup. So you have that in the optimizer each week. You can actually see how is the field in general, how do they use the flex position and how does this bear out over time? So one of my favorite parts of the tool this year of the optimizer is you can put in all your settings. The t- tutorial helps you. And then at the very end, it gives you kind of a, a read that says, hey, here's historically what millimaker lineups are doing. And does your lineups, do they check the box? Like, are you using... You know, if it spits it out and you have 20% of uh, your lineups have tight ends in the flex, you need to realize like, that's not going to work. So there's kind of like this extra, I don't know, checkbox at the very end
1: backstop. If you will,
0: we need it, dude. I need it after I sometimes build the lineups and I'm like, oh, I didn't even think about like setting this rule or, you know, how I'm doing it. So that's a really cool part of the optimizer this year. Let's finish off by talking about roster percentages the best GPP lineups kind of have a blend. And I think that's a hard thing to give a rule. It says like you have to do this, but there is some data that says if you have players under a certain percentage, it can work. So talk to me about roster percentages and what makes sense in millimakers.
1: For sure. Yeah. So in these large field lottos, the bottom line is you will not climb the leaderboard unless you differentiate your lineup from everyone else that you're playing. Think about it. If everyone plays all the 10 to 20% guys, You're not going to be separating and climbing the leaderboard at a high enough rate, and you might min cash, but like, is that going to pay off in a huge way? No. So you need these, you know, sub five percent guys that are truly difference makers to create leverage on the field. Specifically, the data has shown in these large field tournaments, under uh, five percent guys, you need two of them usually. Uh, Sixty-one percent of the top quarter of lineups did this. Lineups that are missing missing the cash line are only doing this. 54.7% of the time. So they're not doing it enough. Again, under 5% is kind of a good rule to follow. But at the same time, you also need to be willing to play some good plays, right? We talked about that. The best lineups are a combination of these good cash plays that project well with these contrarian pieces. And the cutoff uh, from the DFS forecast, guys, was 18%. So lineups that use three players over 18% uh, that are projecting well for a good, you know, for a reason, The top 25% of the field was doing this about 33% of the time. uh, And lineups that are missing the cash lineup are only doing it about a 28% time. So there's still an edge there to say, look, people, they're just not willing to play the good play sometimes, or they're not willing to go contrarian enough sometimes. And that's really where it's, you got to get the kind of the combination of the two.
0: In week 17 last year, AKA the Mike Evans explosion week. If you didn't have Mike Evans... I'm sorry that 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 week just wasn't going to work out for you. And it didn't work out for me in a couple of championship weeks. I just got destroyed by Mike Evans in multiple leagues. But in DFS, it was kind of like he was a low play. He was at six percent, but Brady was only three percent, right? Like if you're going to play Brady, you're going to play Evans with him. It just is pretty simple. And Godwin was also a good play that week. But you look at the roster that week there was a lot of low (laughs) there's even a tight end in the flex that week which like we said it happens maybe once a year and uh, it was Darren Waller but all I care about is when I look at my lineup at the very end if I'm playing in a large field tournament I need at least one to two players under five percent it's really fun when you hit those just know you're going to be on a wild goose chase there's a reason players are rostered that low it's because their projections probably don't look great or it's a game environment we don't love like the Buccaneers had done nothing before then to show us that they were a high powered offense like they had been under their team implied total they were a below what below 500 team like they were just not good at the very end and then they eventually got there but that game also didn't project great Tampa Bay and Carolina but it was what you needed so I wish I could give a rule of thumb for people and just say here's how you identify the low rostered play but that's just part of this game, right?
1: I mean, the take-home is, is just correlated, I think, most of the time. I mean, of course, it's not always the case, but I would rather use that piece of a of a lineup, like my contrarian plays in a stack. Because like I said, you know, if, if that goes off, that's one less thing you have to get right. You're already checking the boxes on the stacking. You're checking the box on the lower roster guys. So that's kind of my preference uh, for a way of doing it. Um, and again, the data shows the best lineups are just this combination. Of great plays that project well that are going to be rostered, but also contrarian pieces. And you gotta be willing to do it. You gotta be willing to miss sometimes, but understand when you do hit these guys, the payoff is massive.
0: Yeah, and this lineup makes sense. Brady double stacked with Godwin and Evans. Somebody brought it back with DJ Moore on the Carolina side. They have Christian McCaffrey who projected super well that week and they correlated him with Darren Waller. They also had Travis Etienne, who was twenty-five percent in the field. So a lot of their lineup you know, I just went through seven pieces that you would go, well, that makes total sense. The one that doesn't make sense is Hunter Henry at 2%. Um, that's just random, but the goal is saying, do you have mostly good correlation? And then, yeah, you need, you need some things to break, right? You need the saints to go for 18 points. Uh, you need all those things last little point, And I want you to throw out something about single entry, because that is more your style. That is what you do. Any quick takes for people that, hey, I love playing tournaments, but I don't know if I want to enter the Millie Maker.
1: Yeah, so this is, like you said, kind of where I live in these smaller fields. And I think a good general thumb for for smaller fields, as we talk about it, is like maybe less than a 1,000 people. I've heard people debate that of like, well, it's got to be less than 500 or less than 1,500 or, or whatever. But basically, like just not these massive lottos is kind of where I play. And I feel like in these situations, I like to double stack Whereas i said in these large field lottos maybe we're single stacking more often than not but i like to definitely double stack i definitely like to bring a bring back with it because in those situations you need to get less right you don't need to hit 250 points to win this thing you could win it with 200 or 180 or or whatever the field sizes will dictate that but you can get a couple things wrong and still have a very strong gpp lineup in the smaller field single-entry contest. It's just very different as far as how the scoring works. You don't need the best outcomes for every player to win. So understanding that, I'm trying to correlate even more than I maybe would in a large-field tournament. The other thing is that the best plays that project very well will start to get way more popular. So in in uh, you know the millimaker or whatever, if a roster percentage report is suggesting maybe 20% for this guy, in a single-entry tournament that's smaller field, you might be able to say, look, that's going to come in higher. I could see 20. I could see 30%. And so understanding how that, you know, roster percentage might ebb and flow a little bit, which is sort of an art as you get used to it over time, will help you to understand where the field is going to go. And I love to be able to create massive leverage on the field in those situations because again, more of opponents are probably going to do that. You know what they're going to do. If you flip it a little bit you can create big time leverage and you can take a stand. So those are kind of my two uh, tips for smaller field and single entry tournaments that I play in uh, a bunch.
0: And we'll have more strategy articles out. If you want to go on our website, the we'll have GPB strategy. You know, I'll have some of this information typed up for you guys. If you just want to visualize, you want to see it. We'll also, as we do the podcast, like we'll make sure that we reinforce these points every single week. Uh, one of the things we do on the Friday show every single week is we talk about our favorite three or four games to stack so we'll give you some examples like, Hey, this week, you know, one of the ways you could do this is you could do a Gino double stack. And then my favorite bring back is this. I kind of think, you know, in week one, it's, you know, they play the Rams, like Cooper cups going to be super popular, but like, what about van Jefferson? Like, what if he's the play this week? Or what if it's cam Akers?
1: um, well, Kyle, come on. I
0: don't, I don't know if I'll <laughs> ever silence. play. Tutu. I'll never play two, two. He's out of the league. Basically to me. That's great. <laughs> um, So you can get all that on the website. I do want to also give a shout out. We will have a new article this year in the DFS Pass that's called Tournament Takes by a new writer we have, Matt Hakem, who won the Millie before. So he's actually gone through this process. He plays a lot of high stakes tournaments. Uh, He's done it for baseball. He's definitely done it for football. But that will be a new article that's only the DFS Pass. Somebody that Won the Million Maker and is a tournament-specific player on DraftKings. He will give his tournament takes every single week. So, yeah, DFS Pass is going to be jam-packed this year. It's going to be super fun, and we want you guys to be a part of it. Bets, tell us goodbye.
1: Yes, sir. Should be awesome. I'm super excited for that article. I'm excited for the DFS Pass, man. We are two weeks away from football. If you haven't gotten in there yet, go get the UDK Plus. It comes with the DFS Pass, DFS Pod to save at ten percent. We will see you next week. Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fantasy Footballers DFS Betting Podcast. Don't forget to visit us on the web at thefantasyfootballers.com.